Good morning. This podcast is brought to you by Casanova, New York, the town on the lake whose signs you will take. Thanks, Casanova, New York, for sponsoring this podcast. Go to Casanova, New York, physically, and shout the promo code down by the river with Terrence Hartnett at my former high school for 10% off a piggyback ride from Lakeland Park to the Braylock. Uh, that's down by the river. And that is Casnovia, New York, which is a physical location. And the promo code is down by the river, and you need to shout it. And I will uh, carry you from Lakeland Park, which is the a, a park right on the lake. It's uh, where the pier is. I used to lifeguard there. And I will carry you physically from there to the Braylock, which is just across East Lake Road. Um, it's nice. My brother got married there. It's a very nice outdoor uh, sort of bar with a, an inn, bar, Scottish-themed place. And... Um, that's 10% off, so usually I'll charge $10 for that, and I'll, I will give you the piggyback ride for $9, and then we'll have a drink and talk about the piggyback ride. Welcome to Down by the River. My name is Terrence Hartnett. Thank you for listening to the longest advertisement uh, I've ever done. Um, we're talking about Casnovia because uh, that's where I'm from. That's where I am right now, um, for better or worse. I'm in Casnovia, New York, where I uh, grew up, and I'm talking to one of my childhood friends from my brother's childhood friends Andrew Joseph I met him in New York City to talk he lives in New York um, but we were um, high school buddies we were I think high school buddies mostly we became buddies when we were high school in high school you know your brother's friend is uh, an impossibly older gentleman until you become like you know in your teenage years and then he's just a sort of older gentleman so he's like the classic brother's friend you know he was introducing me to music and you know he was the cool guy and now we're both just adults in new york uh but andrew is an extensive world traveler and so i kind of wanted to talk to him about that he's got had many jobs many experiences speaks many languages um so we talk about his travels and whatnot and he's got a lot of stories to tell andrew andrew loves to talk and he makes no bones about that <laughs> about that um but luckily he's an entertaining person um and very funny and we've got a lot of shared history um this is probably the oldest friend on the show the friend i've known the longest um so thank you to andrew joseph for listening thank you for listening and uh uh, sharing and subscribing the podcast and rating and reviewing the the podcast thank you very much to stacy who reviewed the podcast on itunes and uh, mentioned that she took a long time to figure out how to do it and uh, i appreciate the effort stacy and uh, the review is very nice and specific um, which I appreciate. But if you also just want to slap a five star on there or put it on your Instagram stories, I'm enjoying this podcast. People, you know, hear about podcasts through word of mouth. Anyway, let's get to the interview with Andrew. Enjoy it. It was in New York. We had a lot of good discussions. Take it away, Steve. Down, down, down. I want mine to be like a via of something. Just ex- <laughs> the worst version. <laughs> no, the one where you share stuff. It, it's cheaper, and you yeah. always get a Mercedes Matrice. I've taken a via or two in a, my day. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. And originally, they were meant to like kind of go like I'm sure they go on Second Avenue. Whoever can yeah. hop on can hop on. Yeah. Hop off when you need to hop off. 
Seven dollars. Yeah. I mean, like, but would, they're always cheap at the beginning. They were, but now they're not anymore. They're like more expensive. Dude, now, I right? took a. I've taken some fucking lifts these last <laughs> couple weeks in New York, and I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> like, what did you do to our economy? <laughs> what did you gutted it? Yeah. And now you're like, you're just. It's the gigs, man. Dancing on it's, the grave of the yellow cab. I, like, it's <laughs> it's terrible. It's dark. It's so bad. But it's uh, you think the drivers are making more money? Maybe. Uh, I hope so. You think it's a lot of rich drivers around here? I really hope so. A lot so. of guys getting rich off of a lift driving <laughs> for the price they charge me to ride. I'd hope it better, so. dude. Awful. <laughs> I know. And I only take them if it's like it's like it's like well, the train isn't going to get me there in right. enough time. Right. My car literally died, mm. and then I had to get it. But so I was already pissed. How yeah. are you with Lime bikes and Revels and such? Um, I would be afraid to ride a Revel. Mm. I rode, I rode one on a first date one time. A girl was like, hop on the back. Oh, that is really cool. I thought you meant you drove one. I was like, that's a risk for a first date. I know. Yeah, never, well, yeah. think about this girl then. It's even cooler that she like, fucking went for it on the first date. Hop on. Was there a second We're date? We're going. No, there wasn't. Yeah. She's too dangerous. And then <laughs> she goes, just get out now while you can. Can't, can't keep up with your lifestyle. She smoked a cigarette and put it out my arm and goes, just go. <laughs> just get- <laughs> Get out of here. Revel without a cause. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. That was a layup. She drove. Yeah. You're welcome. I wanted that one. I got it. Snuck it out. I like a Lime bike, though. Mm. Uh, wait, Lime bikes are different than the city bikes, right? We're yeah, in New are. York City. So, Lime bikes, um, they in New York City, so far, it's only Revel-type Vespa sort of deals. Yeah, no. But elsewhere, you can do full-on ra- electric razor scooters. You can do bicycles. Yeah, Austin's littered with those. Austin is like, every corner's word. got two of them lying on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. And like... Helmets Every riverbed is like clogged with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like too many. Called- <laughs> There's a homeless guy with like a small house built out of lime scooters. <laughs> Mobile home life. Yeah, and you can take. It's the gig economy, man. No, you can take them like um, like can you take them in the bike lane? Are you supposed to? You take can them take. In the bike I think you're supposed to take them. In, no, no, no. I don't know. Yeah, no, people, no, no, no. People sure no. do. You're not, yeah, you're supposed to because no sidewalks is illegal. It's yes. illegal. That's it reminds you when you get unlock it. It's illegal mm. to do on sidewalks. Well, I, I do I do do a lime. I would do a lime mm. scooter. That's easy between I was between open mics or whatever in Austin or like just to get just to get like a mile. Yeah, you know what I mean. Even if you already parked your car or whatever, it's like boop boop, huh. four bucks and it's, stuff like that. It's a perfect thing to do when you're like kind of running late to a social engagement on the way there. You know, right? And, yeah. Don't worry about the way back. Yeah. You can just walk. Who cares? Right, right. And you're um, and you're in like a you know the precarious train scenario. And they pay people to. Austin's got no public transit, so it's like great. I think they have buses and they're awful. Hmm. But they pay people to collect them and charge them. So mm-hmm. sometimes you'll see a guy with like seven lime scooters stacked up like crossways, like a Lincoln Logs. Oh yeah. And he's like scooting them around. I got a funny story about that. Okay, good. This is what we're here for, Andrew. You've got got a lot of stories. It's not that funny of a story, but the company I work for, we subcontract with Lime Bikes, and we're finding the people who go collect and pick them up. (laughs) Yeah. And who are these people? Um, Well, let me tell you. So we have Regina. No, I don't know. I know, but like, what kind of person needs that kind of work? I want, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure. Seems like a, I guess it's kind of a Lyft driver. We're doing it in Tahoe, so I'm guessing it's seasonal stuff. Okay. That's my guess. It's I'm not on that particular project, but I remember it was like a big to do. They're like, we're partnering with this startup company, you know, that's really well. They like try to, you know, kind of keep it like a little bit on the down low when we first got the partnership, and then we got the partnership, and it's like it's lime bikes. So, it's lime. And I was like, I caramba. Um, you know, it's lime. Yeah. 
This so year festive. has been about Corona and Lyme. <laughs> oh, snap. Just don't get bit by a tick while you're hiking <laughs> during the pandemic. Woo! Because then you're going to get... <laughs> Boom! Lyme I've got disease. guitars over with no drum set in the house, unfortunately. <laughs> we need symbols. Yeah, I know. No banjo either. Nothing. How many countries have you lived in? Oh, man. Um, lived in, lived in... Um, four. Four. Counting the U.S., of course. United States of, of America. Course. Mexico. China, Mexico, and, the UK and China, and the UK, and the United Kingdom, England in particular. You lived in, um, okay. Was it for the same? Okay, wait. No. What age were you for them? Um. So all? in Mexico, I was like age three to age seven, and I went to. Oh yeah, you adopted your sister. Yeah, we. Ad- I've got an adopted sister, Sarah. She's she's my favorite. So no, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> That's fucked up. Yes, I love all your favorite adopted sister. She's my favorite adopted sister. Yeah, that's that. There's no way that can be wrong. Number Um, one, or make other people jealous or anything. No, I I like all my sisters. They're awesome. They're all rad. They're very individual. They're all very different people. All very different individuals. Um, But so yeah, it was like when I was three, age three to seven. We lived in a city called Toluca, which is like close to Mexico. It's about an hour hour away from Mexico City. It's like up in the mountains. If Mexico City's in the basin, is it big? Um, yeah, I'd just say it's about the size of Detroit, I think. Damn, it's okay. like a manufacturing hub, like an automotive. In, in this case, silverware factories was what brought us there. Yeah. Um, Dad's work. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And I, I went to various schools. Like I started out going to like kindergarten in like ele- in like beginnings of elementary school, like mostly in Spanish. Whoa. Uh, yeah, even though we didn't speak it and I like took didn't really take lessons. I just, they sort of like threw us into it and we had to like hold our own and figure it out. I bet it kind of worked, right? Um, yeah. I mean, like I speak pretty good Spanish now, I would say, um, just like, I'm not going to go say fluent because that's like an impossible bar. You know, if you're not like a native speaker, like right. raised with the family and then the family, you, but you could make some dummy like me think that you were fluent in Spanish. And I do all the time. No, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and you have, yeah. and you will again. Things I've leveraged in job interviews. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you drop me in Mexico or you drop me in Spain or when I've gone to Spain or Mexico or Ecuador, I, I just can hang. Right. You got, you can, you can yeah. speak, understand. I'm a little bit, it's probably a little awkward and like my accent's very good. It's probably better than my vocabulary at this point. Okay. So people tend to think that I'm like, they're like, oh, but like, where are you from? And no one can quite pin it. Yeah. Yeah. When, like when I'm in Spain, they're like, oh, are, are you, what part of Mexico are you from? And I'm like, I'm not, but I did live there. Or they'll go like, where, what country are you like a Spanish American? And then when I'm in Mexico, some people would say like, I, I speak like a Spaniard. I think that's just because in high school they taught us vosotros. So <laughs> like <laughs> no one uses that except. Why for, would they do that to us? Teach us Spain Spanish? Yeah. That is, that isn't, okay. Is it because of racism? Uh, uh, claro que sí. Eurocentrism? <laughs> Eurocentrismo? Eurocentrismo. Eurocentrismo? Yeah. yeah. Because it's like we know Mexican people. <laughs> yeah. We work with Mexican Tons. people. Oh, yeah. People, and people from who speak more of Mexican, or Central if, American if you're Spanish. in New York, it's going to be a lot of Caribbean Spanish and whatnot. There's like all, every other dialect of Spanish you're probably going to Besides Barcelona. From, yeah. <laughs> besides from the Castilian of Madrid. <laughs> if, you throw, if you're throwing a TH in there. <laughs> yeah. Castilla. Castellano. Uh, Castellano. Yeah. No. I, no. Love, I, I do have family from, like, family by marriage from Spain, from, from Zaragoza or Zaragoza. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Zaragoza. Zaragoza sounds like something you'd make a kid with a lisp say to make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> say Zaragoza, you little lisping you, bitch. You're never going to be able to go there ever again. You, their soccer <laughs> team, their football team is going to kick your ass. Their football <laughs> team is going to beat you up. No, I'm go just kidding. ahead. Yeah. No, it's a cool place. It's cool. I, I hitchhiked across Spain. Actually, I, I hitchhiked from England to Morocco. Um, 
Was England the next? In, so yeah. So Mexico. So Mexico for like that four years. It goes born in Washington D.C. Moved to Oneida, New York, because my parents are upstate New Yorkers. Um, moved to Mexico for like. And so am I. That's how we met. Exact, we should establish that early on. We're both, yeah. we're both from Casanova. Grew up in Casanova. I, I went to, to Oneida first, so this is pre. And then Mexico, and then I went from Mexico to like Vernon, New York, which is a, another small town in Oneida County. VVS. VVS. Yeah, that was the one. So you were ten or eleven then. Yeah. Yep. Like. Okay. Like elementary school. Then I did like end of elementary school and middle school in England. That was England part one. So I was there for two years, and I went to an American community school, full of like expat kids, some military kids, some diplo. They all spoke the language. Did they all? Uh, no. You couldn't go to. <laughs> they, <laughs> all right, they're no, expats. They didn't. No. It was okay. All, it was like people. It was that was like a social experiment to an extent because it was like there was like a core group of Americans. And I have a funny story. One of them ended up becoming my neighbor in Bushwick like 20 years, 25 years That's later. That's amazing. Yeah, okay. or, or Bushwick. Why did I say Bushwick? Bedsty. Because I, I was talking lived. about living in Bushwick and yeah. now I hate it. I've never lived in Bushwick. Yeah. I just lived in Bedsty. Okay. I, I was just there long enough to love it the whole time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but so I, I went to this like very international cosmopolitan kind of like diplomats, kids, military kids, um, people from like. Syria, Italy, Turkey, Europe, and then there was like a core group of American expats, and then they came from all over the country, and they came from like all over every like so a lot of them were like you know business kids, people whose parents were in supply chain or marketing or oil and gas or something. And what was the school? What was it doing differently than the school you would have gone to as it, a normal? It was called ACS Hillingdon. So the reason we went was specifically because the curriculum could be like they could track you in a way that was compatible with the American school system. Oh, yeah. okay. So you're not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. So you're going to eventually have to go back to like eighth grade exactly. over there. Exactly. Okay. So to prevent you from getting held back or having any like systemic friction or compatibility issues. I okay. I thought it was just some dumb American bullshit, but that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. you're going to have to go to some, you're going to have to like take the regents, you know, mm-hmm. in two years. Right. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you need to be able to pass an SAT as opposed to an A level. Of course, some American expats were just like, we're going to send our kids to the UK system, and that's just going to be what it is. Because the UK system's fine. It's great. It's probably better than ours. Probably better, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you had to bet without guessing, without yeah. knowing any <laughs> information, would you get? Would you guess it was better or I worse? I would probably guess it was better. Yeah. Just on the basis of like the you know the depth of which you tend to get like historical information in the pop culture and public sphere in the UK, I would. Probably, yes, just yeah. like based on how much you can joke about like Louis the Fourteenth, and everyone laughs. Yeah, yeah. Throw right. nuances in there. Just the intellectual level of Monty Python sketches. I'm gonna guess. The UK is exactly. Of course, don't fall into the trap of mistaking something that's just culturally different and European for being something that necessarily is more nuanced. That was a thing I used to do, and then I spent more time there, and I was like, actually, this is just context. What necessarily depth? So, like, I mean, certain things if we look at them or the way that someone would say them, we might try to we might regard it as something that might be like posh or upper class or something that's sophisticated, but really, it's just a matter of the way it is there and the colloquial way that the something is done there. Does that make okay, sense? right. Their, their colloquialism sounds smart to us, yeah. but it's just the way that they... Yeah. And the accent advantage totally goes the other way. Like, if you move to England and you're American, people are either going to, like, kind of kind of be weird about it, and they're gonna, you might get a little flack, or you're just instantly charming and, like, believable right away. And they think that you're... Accent advantage. Uh, cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know people who are in movies Yeah, you're stuff. like the free-riding American guy who's, like, just here, hitchhiking to Morocco, <laughs> talking people into signing paperwork that says you're their next of kin so you can register with the embassy and so on and so forth. That's the thing I was saying. Okay, so, we left off. That's where we left off. Yeah. It was, uh, you were, wait, you were in England twice yep. before you went from England to Morocco. Yep. Keep so going. England part one was, um, England part one was middle school, and then I moved to Casanova, and that's where I met you. Yes, and you I did. And I, more importantly, met this, just, just just debauched, rebellious, 
individual who got into all sorts of trouble named Duffy Hartnett. Duffy Hartnett, Duffy my Hartnett. oldest brother, yeah. who is gone. You know, he's gone straight now. Yeah, but he, he was uh, he used to have long hair. Yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was quite a mess. Well, you, yeah, you corrupted him. I, this is that yeah. was that the story. I think. <laughs> I mean, yes, that was. Well, that's what he told our mom. That's what least. I told. I told my mom thought it was the other way around. Exactly. My I mom, remember my mom took you guys to go see the movie Old School. <laughs> and you were, before you were seventeen, and she like bought the tickets or whatever. Yeah. And then you came home, and or no, someone, someone's mom like went and pulled you guys out of the theater, or no? No, I wasn't there for that one. If that happened, you guys, what you got? You guys saw Old School, mm-hmm. and you got you got you got, you or someone in the group got in trouble for seeing an R-rated movie, Old no, School. That could have Old School wouldn't have been me. I know we like somehow. I don't know if he was here for that. I think he was here for this. We somehow like bamboozled our way into seeing Super Troopers before we were old enough to see Super Troopers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was a thing because we were we were just like just let's be bullshit artists and talk our way into everything. Like we would convince like gas station attendants into selling us beer. <laughs> like we would like we'd worked at the same restaurant and we would just like pound Red Bulls and go to the casino at like two in the morning. Like um, I think my my mother them. I used to smoke marijuana, Terrence. <laughs> used to. On the record. Yeah, on the record. Um, my, like, my mom, I think, found some of my weed, and she was like, are you holding this for Duffy? And I was like, we'll, we'll go with that. It's <laughs> absolutely not what was happening. No. <laughs> sure. On the yeah. record, not what was happening. No. That was 100%. I, I don't know where I got it, but not Duffy's. Um, you used to... Uh, mm-hmm. steal your parents' car mm-hmm. and go drive it around mm-hmm. the township mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. looking oh. to steal road signs. I think you mean yeah, the national pastime of Casanova. <laughs> the pastime of Casanova. Yeah. So many signs. Like thousands and thousands of dollars in fines worth of So signs. many signs. <laughs> and not even the... Like, A shed full of signs. There was funny ones like yeah. Funk Road. That's how it started. We're like... Dyke Road. Yeah, they're like, these signs are suggestive and interesting. Like, exactly. Take them. <laughs> we and then you ran out of those. Yeah. So we just started trying to get... We started collecting. Just whatever, yeah. yeah. Slow children playing or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. something decent. Paint a comma, like slow <laughs> children dot 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 <laughs> playing. You know, things like that. And then um and then one day, you know, um they were found by a parent. And then oh, we were yeah. told we were informed that each one of those road signs was like, I don't know, like a two thousand dollar fine each if the cops found yes. them. So then we put them in an orange duffel bag and then discreetly dropped them off behind the police station. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, we gave them back. Yeah. Hey, very good. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Was, I was mm-hmm. I was working as a reporter for the Casanova Republican, that's which a, is a newspaper. It's mm, a very um I was a stringer, I was a freelance reporter and I had to go to the meetings of the town and take fucking notes. <laughs> so old as hick. So awful. For thirty bucks. Yeah. Anyway, for thirty bucks. <laughs> and write the article. Okay. <laughs> Awful job. Oh, my God. Terrible. So one of the meetings, though, they were going over the budget, and they had to replace all these signs. <laughs> They're talking about how much... We, oh and my, they go no like, idea. so we got to replace Dyke Road, and Funk Road, and, you know, Anal Sex Road. <laughs> and like putting two and two together, you're like, yeah. old fucking fuck. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then, for some, no, the, and then the, the, the remark that I love was to go, was like, why the hell do these keep going missing? <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> It's because of uh, my brother and Andrew Joseph and no. whoever their successors are in this <laughs> wild endeavor. There were a lot of us, man. It was like a ring <laughs> of people. And then were, there were like rival crews that would get competitive <laughs> about trying to nab it. Like the thing about Funk Road was it took us a few tries because people would get there first and then drive away. We literally got there once and someone else was pulling away with that thing. <laughs> and that was the 
they're like, yeah, it was like the, it was like the older kids. It was like the eleventh graders, and we were like the tenth graders, and they're like, oh, we got a first dweebs, ah, and like peeling out, and they're like Buick Lesabre. They leave only a calling card behind <laughs> yeah. where the sign was, you know. Yeah, we've got there. They're like blasting first. some forty one and flipping us off. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, some forty one. Yeah. That really. If, if you want to uh, hear this story better, just put some some forty one on in the background. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much exemplify. Yeah, that, that's in too deep, and I'm trying to keep. That was pretty much the mo. That was the vibe. That was yeah. Above in my head, just like shredding guitar, <laughs> skateboarding, and not being good at skateboarding. You know, just like that, that kind of shit. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Weren't you in a band? You were in a band. Yeah, I've right? been in a couple at this point. Yeah, I'm in kind of in one now with friends. I mean, we just played oh music my on god, with yeah, a guy named dude. Nick Janeiro, who you might or might not. I remember Nick Janeiro. Yeah. Did he go to? He went to Kaz, right? Yeah, he went to Kaz, um, and now he's like a certified pyrotechnician. So he like rigs explosives and for movies. You should talk to him next. That sounds great. He's got a badass life. That Amazing, guy's a fucking cool guy. It's almost um, the Fourth of July. It should I, be right, a good I guy know. to know. Yeah, which we we were shooting fireworks off a couple Fourth of Julys ago up at the family camp. And he's like, eh, feels like work. Well, people were like, is this legal? And he's like, let me tell you why. And he whips out his like license to do it. And he's like, bingo. And then he was the coolest guy at the party. Yeah. Yeah. Once a year, that is a great job to fucking have. <laughs> exactly. I exactly. have a license. <laughs> yeah, like to blow things up literally. But he's he's a nasty bass player. So the thing the thing that a lot of people don't know about him is he's he's insanely intrinsically musically talented. Like Nick Gennaro? Yeah. People don't tell us about Nick Gennaro. I don't know. The pe- yeah, let's just let's just act on like the he's streets, famous. On the streets, so, his rep is not yeah <laughs> that he was he's big in music. This whole the whole point of this podcast, we're just gonna hype people that know. Well, he wasn't in band, I guess, he, or he was. was he? He? I don't Probably. remember. I don't know. We, okay. we jammed a lot as teenagers, and then when I moved to Brooklyn, I was like I was like looking for an apartment. I was staying in an Airbnb and like waiting for my job to start, and like my bank account was lower and lower yeah, as as New I York. was running around getting New Yorked. And uh, so I called Nick Gennaro. I'm like, hey, man, I'm like just landed here. And he's like, God damn it. And what? And I'm like, can I crash on your couch? And he's like, yes, you can crash on my couch. <laughs> so he let me stay at his house for like the first like, you know, week after I moved out of the Airbnb between like my, I wasn't a lease. Like I subletted a room in a, or not sublet. I rented a room in a brownstone for like $800 cash from like a little old lady who Respect. was awesome. That was, she was the best. Nice. So between the person moving out and me taking their place and the Airbnb situation I was in prior, I lived, I crashed in Nick Gennaro's house and we hung out and partied down. And now you're in a band. And now we're, now we play music every Sunday. It's great stuff. Yeah. Nice. With another guy named Nick who plays drums. There's, yeah. It's Andrew and the Nick. It's something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, but I was in a band in high school too in, with this, with like, uh, not Nick Gennaro, but a few other people. And we just played like, you know, loud, distorted guitar stuff. <laughs> That was like just strumming a lot of power chords and <laughs> just degenerate. What were the big shows? Did you play anything? Oh, Did you get to Funkin' Waffles? Common Grounds. You, you went to Common Grounds? Nice. Yeah, Respect. Multiple, yeah, a few times. Uh, some backyard uh, like barbecue party things. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think we played the high school talent show. That okay. Was, that was like our... Crunch. I never think I, I don't think I went to that, which is crazy because I have so mm. much talent. I, I know. could have I shown it. You in it every time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You could have roasted the whole town, man. Damn, legendary <clears throat> and sang and Put stuff. Put on the show tunes, yeah. Yeah, I was more into show tunes at the time True. than comedy. Um, we were both in the plays, yeah, and the academic decathlon. That that was fun. We times. have not talked about that in a long time. <laughs> we were the state champions of academic yeah. decathlon. That was when I peaked. <laughs> Honestly, JK. I mean, we got a free yeah. trip to. Did you go to Hawaii? Uh, no, 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 we went to Texas. I went to Hawaii. Yeah. We went to. We went to Mm. Uh, San Antonio, Texas. And then we got attacked by an ostrich. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Remind me? No, uh, An ostrich. An ostrich. 
Remember we were in the car? There's like video footage of this on Facebook. Oh my God. It like came up on my memories the other day. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and it was like, you hear like, I think it's like Derek or something. You hear one of the kids. He's like, wait a minute. Ostriches are mean. And then just starts trying to peck the <laughs> shit out of everybody. Yeah. I went to like a drive through safari. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I don't think about these things. You mm. don't think about them. And then they, and then they happen. I remember he, uh, he recited a, what, what I, this is what I remember about that trip. One of these is about Derek is he had, he said, I wrote a poem today and, uh, it's based on, it's based on Johnny Cash's, um, I hurt myself today. To I can see if I can see feel. more than that. Yeah. And it's a poem that I wrote that's original to me. And I remember the poem. I don't know why. He goes, um, I punched a wall and it didn't hurt because of all the veg I smoked. <laughs> I think it's another line I missed. Because it's got had, had decent rhythm, but he smoked veg. But it was and it so didn't make his... <laughs> if I were to get a, like a... If anyone were to get a bad tattoo, that should be it. Uh, <laughs> I want that on like I want that on like a... I don't know, like a... In cursive? Yeah. yeah it's like beautiful. A, like scripts, like on a scroll. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get him to like bring that up again if I see him again. I would be interested. Actually, I think his dad just did, did some work on our house. No way. Um, cool. I didn't. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, mm-hmm. ooh, high school. Yeah. So Where'd you go to college again? So I went to the State University of New York, SUNY College of Brockport. Brockport. So and then I capped it off with a year back in the UK. Okay, studied abroad in the UK. Yep. Yep. Okay, and that's was, much more interesting than going to Brockport. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How was Brockport? Sense. Brockport was. First of all, rad. Okay. No way. Okay. Nice. Underrated place, I'll say. Sorry, I'm yeah. I'm pretty down on colleges in general. I, I'm down on the yeah because it's a, there's a lot of it's a scam. I'll just yeah. go ahead and say it. How did it come on? I got a master's degree from an Ivy League school, and I'm going to tell you, like, college is a. Oh man. There's a lot of college that you they shouldn't make you that you shouldn't have to do, and then there's like the scam a of the lot century. of things you don't do that college should totally have you do. I wish don't do I it. had thought of it. I, right. Oh, yeah. Man, don't you wish you had thought of it? You right. go, you can charge whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can literally charge whatever and you want. And it's for knowledge. I know. It's the easiest maneuver. Yeah, I know. My dad's the dean of a business school, so he's gonna disown me after this. Damn, but dude. That's not a scam. He knows. Yeah. Or whatever. Who knows? I don't know. He gets people jobs. You get connections, right? He does. That's yeah. There's there's valid there's valid stuff there. Well, Brockport was like, like, what? A, I mean, I don't know, man. I did well there. Like my grades were good. Like I nice. My grades were really good. It has Isn't like north of Ro- it's near Rochester. Yeah, it's between Rochester and Buffalo. Okay, right. Um, my friends from there are um, to this day. If I pick, if I just call them, they'll just like pick up and we'll shoot the shit and we'll have a conversation. Respect. Yeah, they're awesome people. I went to um one of their weddings a couple of years back when I first arrived in New York because his his wife is from the is from the Bronx. We went to the Bronx wedding. The Bronx is great. Um. Elias Mendoza, good good guy. Um, the party scene there was completely turnt. Like just okay, just just everything you'd want in like a college movie type college. Were there frats? Oh yeah, there okay. were frats, <laughs> but they weren't like the poshy bougie ones. They were like, they were. Um, I don't know, I'm gonna get like jumps for saying this. they were cool. And that's all I have to tell you about what I think of. Yeah. They were cool enough. They were. I mean, I had some friends who were in them who were cool, but like on the whole, I was like, mm, I'm not about this. Okay. I did not do the frat life. I like hung out with one a little bit uh, at the start, and they, we were feeling each other out to see if we, you know, if we wanted to. Well, I, I you know, I think they were like recruiting me, but I just was there to like drink the free beer. Of course. Totally. Well, there's frat parties, right? Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Nah. And then I like never went back. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you were able to have a social life there without. 100%. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, the whole place is just highly social. Some schools are not like that, though. Some schools are like frat-based. No, no, no. This one was like pretty much everybody, unless you were like a massive introvert, was like a party animal. Nice. Yeah. And uh, But my whole thing was like, I cut out, I, funny enough, I got my shit together in undergrad pretty big time. And I like, 
I made a point where like, cause in high school, my grades were like really erratic. It was like, I'd get a semester where I got straight A's and then it was one where I'd get like C's. Some, some things were really consistent, like social studies, history, A's all the way. And it was totally just playing arbitrage. It was all leftover knowledge from like my British middle school. <laughs> <laughs> and like, oh, nice. Yeah. There was a lot of like, yeah. why do you know so much about world history? And I'm like, cause England, the school I went to in England had like, you know, thicker textbooks on the map. Yeah, Monty Python is like really smart. It's like that. Yeah, yeah, or something. A whole school and country. Yeah, 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 totally. So, but then, you know, I was like pretty good at English. I was like DOK at science, math, I was like not great at. But it was funny because now I've, I ended up getting a master's degree that was like pretty quantitative. So, what is it in? Public administration, which is, oh, wow. It's like an MBA for people who want to work in nonprofit sector government. A lot of them go into business. I mean, I I work in startups. Okay. Um, But there, I went to Cornell for it, and there was like a heavy quantitative component where you had to take like, you know, inferential statistics, a lot of like economic modeling, which I I like that stuff a lot. Um, And that's kind of like, I I ended up finding my niche with like political. Stuff that was revolved around policymaking and politics as pertains to global trade and how global trade kind of like impacts economies, namely, you know, developing economies, which makes total sense because how would I know that better than most people? Well, because I grew up in Mexico watching globalization happen. It's developing. Yeah, exactly. Right. You were in the Detroit of Mexico. Yeah. But on the come up and not getting gutted i watched okay okay now let's get controversial i watched outsourcing happen yeah yeah Yeah. and kind of benefited from it a little bit (laughs) yeah okay right so the Mm -hmm. company took that well there was business they were they they more like expanded the business first and then owned a bunch of assets overseas and then slowly started like subcontracting them out and uh, the the factory in oneida in cheryl new york still exists it's just called cheryl manufacturing now it's actually owned by two former employees, um, and they—they're great. They still, I believe, they still use most of the same original equipment. They—they um, they make a lot of. They—they they contract with Oneida, but I believe they contract with the Department of Defense now. And there was some policy behind that that Anthony Brindisi helped push through. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. What's they got? They make silverware. Military silverware. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like the food for like the yeah, I guess bases and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but so that that was still there and that survived, which is cool because a lot of the, and a lot of the times. Um, now that wasn't the case with all the stories behind this stuff, but then the other flip side of it that you see and that a lot of people, I think on the political left, um, cause it, do you grapple with, do you want the global South who suffered from colonialism to develop and do you want people to ascend from poverty or do you want to keep jobs in the United States? Do you want to see, what do you, what do you want here? And you'll go, okay, well outsource labor and outsource labor to the third world does have a lot of elements of exploitation and that's really horrendous and that does occur. Right. But there are a lot of things in place and a lot of groups and organizations that prevent that from happening that a lot of people don't realize too. So there's like BSR business for social responsibility, for example, is a consulting firm that makes sure that supply chains around the world are operating, you know, in accordance to ethical standards and safety and stuff. I knew some folks who worked for them back when I you know, lived in China, which we haven't gotten to yet, but we can. Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. But the thing I, I did see about Mexico was that this, I mean, even though there are elements of it that are kind of ugly, the single factor that's that's contributed to the termination of absolute poverty around the world. So you're always going to have, we're not always going to have relative poverty. We can do things to fight that. But what's alleviated most of the relative, when, like the absolute poverty around the world. So people living on less than the equivalent of $1 a day and that have chronic health conditions and that have, um, you know, that live in 
you know, kind of more more destitute conditions with low education levels and and stuff like that is like global outsourcing. Global trade had is like I would say global trade is number two. Number one is like women's empowerment. If you empower the women in a country, that country's economy, oh, jacks way up. Yeah, why? I mean, because you're cutting can... half of your labor force out of the market if you don't. If you okay, twice training. as many people to work, and then they and also tempt. have money, and they can buy stuff. Well, it's like money, buying stuff, but also like brain power, the contributions they make. Like, oh yeah, you're cutting half of your your talent pool out if you systemically discriminate against half of your population. So, um, and then global trade, unfair as it might be, and exploitative as it can be in its ugliest senses, does have success stories, and it does have times when. Um, really good social outcomes can come of it, and it's an interplay. So you'll have something like uh, a place that was mostly kind of like agrarian, and there are people who I went to grad school with who will like argue with me about this all day and attack me. And once this gets released, you're going to get like comments full of ire. <laughs> you will to watch that. So because they're against globalization, mm-hmm. yeah, in general. Yeah. So it's fun, kind of funny because like yeah, it's like well, are the jobs going to be somewhere else? Right. Are they going to be in America? Right. Well, eventually they're going to get automated and taken over by technology. And, and we're all just going to be sitting around with our thumbs up our asses. Yeah, well, but if you making do, podcasts, if you do it in front of YouTube, then you monetize it. That's exactly. the economy, baby. That's how you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, Maybe. that is the sort economy. Of, yeah. yeah, stream it. That's an know. OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, or you can do just ASMR videos. Just make mouth sounds. <laughs> I follow. Yeah, I follow this person on on Instagram who smushes bread with her face and just has like tons of followers. <laughs> Some of the best content out there. Yeah, she she like you know you never see her whole face like you don't know who she is but she lines up. A loaf of bread, and then she just goes, bam, smushes it. Oh, like, does it sound? Is it violent? Is that bam? Sometimes, okay. sometimes it's violent. Sometimes it's just like she just rolls it. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. With just, a good mic. It's a very loud mic. It yeah. Up. That's ASMR. Is all like, what's the boss? It's, it's like people making weird sounds. Like yeah. loud She's, though. That one's not like pure ASMR. That one's just like something. That's like its own its own thing. I, <laughs> I don't know. I just the I look, ASMR community has actually disbanded her. I don't know. I, I don't know the politics behind it, man. I don't know the ideation. It's clicky. Yeah. It's a very clicky community. A lot. Of th- is it? I can't imagine it's not. I are can't there, imagine they're very. Are there people open. who are divided? Are there people who are like whispers are better and they're like no zippers are no, better zippers, and they're like no, no. like letters. crinkles. Yeah, crinkles, man. Like crinkle crinkle gang swipes for life. Yeah, you got to find some of those people and try to get them on the podcast. <laughs> 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 really, now this is the podcast. Welcome. Uh, uh, it's, it's down by the river. Down. Listen to my door creak on my van for like the next. Ooh, can you just? <laughs> Feel it in your spine. Doesn't just kind of just relax you a little bit. The Found Sound podcast. Mm. Just me stepping on cans. Ding bong. <laughs> Let's get big millions of what dollars. What city in England <laughs> did you live in? This is the greatest thing. It just goes in this crazy turn. I, I, I'm gonna put it. You should put a disclaimer. Like I look up. I just find the weirdest shit I can on the internet and follow it. <laughs> it is what it is. Just the weirdest shit, and then I share it, and I try to share it with like my mom. I'm like, mom, look. Yeah, it's I know. Like- <laughs> I get. I, I'm a, I'm subscribed to the Andrew Joseph newsletter where it's like, here's what I've been thinking about. Here's this <laughs> guy. Here's drug people doing things. Although you sent me the picture, the one where the girls are posing for an, an Instagram uh, or TikTok video where yep. girls are shaking her ass, and one girl is uh, trying to shotgunning a white claw, and then she accidentally spits it. She opens it up, and it That's, spits all over the girl who's shaking her ass, and it's rage. just like. It's just it's just perfect. If it, it was in a movie, it couldn't be more perfect. It's perfect, impeccable timing. It's just so good. Yeah, it's exactly what 
TikTok should be. <laughs> they they were trying to do what TikTok shouldn't be, and they ended up doing what TikTok the, should be, which is gaffs, gaffacular TikTok. Yeah, yeah. there's like, one where a guy tries to chug an entire seltzer without burping, <laughs> and he can't, so he throws up a little bit, and he goes, "Oh my god, what do I do?" And then he turns around, and he accidentally smacks his head into like his garage door. Here we go. See, and that's it. Yeah. That would be funny. It doesn't matter what language you speak, no, too. Yeah. That could unite the world. Speaking of globalization, <laughs> everyone in the world can get behind this I'm, one thing. I'm going to run on a platform of memes. I'm going to run for <clears> office, <throat> and it's just going to be like people doing gaftacular shit with like my last name like for, like I don't know, comptroller of something. Dude, honestly, <laughs> I think in 2024, if you don't have at least some memes in your campaign... You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, AOC's got memes. she got dank memes. Trump had memes. Yeah. yeah. You need to have memes now. He was now. a meme of a president, man. True. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Trump? Just kidding. What We're not city, doing that. <laughs> what no. city in? I think he's got his hair's okay. Think he's gonna get let that again? Lightning round. What? Yes so, or no? Will he be president again? Lightning round. Will he be president again? I'm gonna go no. Okay. Right. What city in England do you live? Did you live did in? Did I live in? So I lived in a place called Beaconsfield. Beaconsfield. Um, which, if you know. Hot Fuzz, the scene at the end where they accidentally trash that model village. It's, yeah. Yeah, that was filmed in Beaconsfield, and they have a model village, and there's a studio called Pinewood Studios where they do a lot of, like, <laughs> movie filming. So it's kind of like a known thing, but it's mostly just, like, a quiet little burb of London. Oh. Um, okay, it's near London, in London? Yeah. Uh, near yeah, London. it's like a... I think that's like a 30 minute train ride or a 20 minute train ride. You, I would take, when I was like 12, I could like take the train into London from there if I wanted um, for a couple of quids. Just that was the first time I lived in mm-hmm. London. The second England. time was my study abroad experience where I studied at uh, Oxford University, Christchurch College. Nice. Politics, philosophy, and economics. That's where I went to Trinity for six weeks. Yeah. Uh, I so remember that. Christchurch is where. They mm-hmm. Great Hall is right mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Yeah, and you would I would eat there. I went to functions there and like black tie functions there. Oh, nice. I would hang out with like this like the son of of like politicians from around the world. You know, it was just crazy people that you meet there. Of course, I was I got like a complimentary Oxford Union membership as a visiting visiting scholar for like a year. Um, so I saw a lot of it was just debates every Thursday. And the best part about that was anyone could partake. <laughs> yeah. So you would have like member of parliament here, like celebrity. It's usually like members, like some sort of academic, some sort of famous public figure who's like intellectual or in, public intellectual or public intellectual adjacent. So you like, I don't know, Christopher Hitchens, right? He would be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you'd and, love it. Yeah. And you'd have Hitchens squaring off against like, um, I, I don't know, like a conservative rabbi or something or like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, or like a Marxist or both. Right, and then you would have some celebrity who was there mostly for like name recognition, like some you know like fitness model or something that like kind of didn't make sense. Sometimes that person would have the most nuanced opinion on the matter, and they were the most interesting ones to listen to, and you didn't think it, and that was part of the <laughs> point. And the idea was just so mind expanding. But the way you participated is if someone said something, you threw up your hand and you a point of information, and they have to address you. So Whoa. yeah, so you would get these in the audience. Yeah, the audience. You go point of information. If they don't want to take it, they go no, thank you, or they go yeah. Then you give your point, and then they debate you right on the spot, or you can augment them with like a helpful helpful point of information so you're like you're you're what's the point of it you're adding information point you're, of information yeah, point of information half the time it's like people trying to correct the other side so the audience will argue with the people who are doing the debate and doing the speaking and i mean this is it's it's oxford so it's like you'll get some really 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 bright like under you'll get a lot of people who are like pompous but you'll get some people every once in a while who will be like yeah here's an 18 year old freshman who just like takes some politician to task 
yeah, uh, on yeah. the facts and just skewers them right in front of like a crowd of people. And like, yeah, like like the the British public debate culture is something that we severely lack in the United that States. That sounds amazing. It's savage. You have to be able to hang in there and you have to be able to defend your positions and defend your job every day at questioning Ooh. hour. So Intellectual the, fight club. It is. Every yeah. week. Yeah. The prime minister gets up and then parliament like just go. Just knives out. Just goes at him. Yeah. And they just go at each other and there's like booing and yelling and like, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you gotta you gotta watch it. It's way better than c-span america when you were there is that when did you go to morocco from there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from oxford yep so so i oxford does trimesters i was there in between my second and third trim uh trimester <laughs> terrible <laughs> pregnant joke. joe so bad so i'm not a everyone rit has already made he's, it he's a comedian i'm not a comedian yes uh but you are a funny fast talking I, guy i well i do talk fast you could be easily mistaken for one. Oh, why thank you of course uh, i might try it someday you should i kind of want to You'd be so surprised. I always tell anybody who wants to, I'm like, yeah, try it. Yeah, like, I mean, because like, basically, anyone who anyone <laughs> anyone who I'm friends with, I'm like, you're funnier than I can I can think of. Fifteen comedians <laughs> yeah. who are doing it like who every no, day. Just yeah. <laughs> Don't, yeah. <laughs> and they'll all be on the Patreon. I'll, I'll name names in the Patreon, and it's forty dollars a month to know who I think stinks at comedy. <laughs> You know who you are. You get it. <laughs> you know, they, that's the whole problem. They don't know who they are. Right. That's the whole issue. But uh, yeah, but, I mean, I feel like there's also just a massive difference between me getting like you know friend chuckles and then me going up there and getting and bombing in front of a live audience. And the yeah, I mean, and the difference is practice. You know, yeah. you saw, you've seen me practice. You know, you've seen you've seen that's, good shows and bad shows. Yeah. Yeah. Some exactly. sometimes, and it's weird how like the same jokes told in a different pace and a different crowd, the energy just yeah completely flips. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've seen right. It's like I'm looking at you like you were here two weeks ago, Andrew. You saw this joke do well. You know, like you'd come to the yeah. wet cash, and I wasn't. I didn't. Have, I wasn't writing that fast where I had new jokes Every after a month or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it was. But the thing is, I'm like a, I'm like a nerd for process, and I like to take deep dives into things I'm interested in. So, like when I was into punk rock, I'm still into punk rock music. But like when I was into rock music and stuff, I would do more than just like listen to it and go to shows. It was like. I would go on the internet and I would find the entire history about every single damn band and like <laughs> the story arc. And what I was essentially doing was just research. I'm like, so if I were to ever try to do this, 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 here are the patterns and the trends that you tend to see. And I would kind of map it out. Yeah, like dude. That. And that's what I was doing instead of my math homework. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that is that's the attention the attention that you had that is mm. you would pay and that would that would benefit you exactly. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, it very much is like if I'm intrinsically interested in it, I'm just gonna absorb the entire. I'm going to absorb all the information I can about it, basically. And, then and you clearly have done that. <laughs> hitchhiking to yep. Morocco? Or yes. did you hike? A hitchhike. Hitchhike to so Morocco. That was through a charity. So um, I, I was like, you know, I was out with the, with the lads. Um, and I had a couple of friends at the time from North England, a dude named Alec and a dude named Gavin. They were from Liverpool and Yorkshire, respectively. And, um, and so we, like, run into these two guys, and they're, like, upperclassmen. And they're like, do you want to hitchhike to Morocco? And I was like, huh? And they're like, check this out. It's for charity. I'm like, go on. And so it was called Link Community Development. And the whole idea behind that was, you know, a lot of people at the time were really into like raising money for their like gap year trips and their vacations. And because it was like when GoFundMe was like a new thing, sort of. Yeah. And like raising money through social media was kind of novel. Um, 
So a lot of people were doing it to try to go like, it's always been my dream to take a trip around the world with like my, with like my fiance and they'd raise money to do it. And this was like a little, the concept was kind of a little bit taking a jab at it. It was like, we're going to raise a thousand pounds each and we're just going to donate it all to charity. And instead of like, you know, taking a plane to a luxury place, we're just going to hitchhike. And okay, cool. Yeah. Thumbs out, you know, signs and getting rides from strangers <laughs> the whole way. Exactly what your mom didn't want you to do when you studied abroad. <laughs> but like, they're not going to stop me. So I, um, so yeah, so I raised a thousand pounds. I did it through, there was, uh, and I knocked frats earlier, but there was a, a like a charitable Greek life organization back at Brockport that one of my academic advisors was in and it was all about based around philanthropy. So I wrote you know, like a, a pitch and I wrote it up and I did my research and was like, this is what the money's going to. It's going to like making sure that like books and like toilets and like toiletry supplies can go to schools in sub-Saharan Africa um, in these particular countries and stuff. And they loved it. So I got uh, a channel of cash that way. I did panhandle for some of it. <laughs> and then, nice. Yeah, and I made a lot that some there were a couple of guys who were like so good at the panhandling part, it was like kind of scary. They'd like make their whole thousand pounds just like street hawking people. Whoa. Yeah. Would they use their charity or they'd be say like hey, well, it's for charity. You wore you wore these like bright obnoxious green t shirts. Okay. With like an outline of it was kinda of cringy. Now I'm looking back at it, I'm like, that kinda of wasn't a good look because it's like, you know, it's a bunch of like it's got like the island of Africa and it's like charity thing that we're doing and right, right, there's right. some there's some stigma behind what that could look like. But um but anyway, I, I mean the charity was legit. The money went to a really good cause. Um and through friend donations and through a little bit of the panhandling thing, but mostly through like my network, I managed to actually make more than the baseline minimum target, donated it all to charity, and then you break off into teams and you go like amazing race style. You register with the uh, the, the consulates, I believe, or the embassies, or both, in each of the respective countries, and then you check in and check out via text message back when you had your brick Nokia phone, phone <laughs> and you and I had the train, I had the brick phone, and you just send them a text message saying like, "This is our like longitude and latitude, basically, you know, in the morning and then in the in the evening, and if you didn't, they might send someone out after you." But since I wasn't a oh br- to like check up on you, and also were you racing? If you it wasn't really technically a race um, because Howard, I mean. There was like one group that got a ride with like a French military convoy and just like went all the way. <laughs> like, cool. yeah, um, we had some very interesting people pick us up, some very cool people. And the thing that it really drove home, like the small world and fewer than six degrees of separation between people aspect of, of the world to me. Like the third ride I got in the UK was a guy who just got back from like a sabbatical, like working in Rochester, New York. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? I'm like Rochester. Yeah. So someone's saying the word Rochester in so New York. Rochester. Yeah. yeah so I was in New York, but it wasn't New York City. And I'm like, cool. My, my terrible British accent. He's like, yeah, it's like Rochester or something like that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's exactly where I go to college. Like, Brockport <laughs> is my home college base, but I'm like at Oxford now. And they're like, why? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, it was YOLO, YOLO, baby. Why'd you go to Rochester, idiots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you doing that, man? Yeah, you went this in the wintertime, lame. It's not yeah. even, it's it's not awful. Even, it's not even hilly there. You can't even snowboard. Oh, it's, my God. Yeah, it's just flat and cold. It's a tundra. It's the t- Yeah, yeah. No, much love for Rochester. Uh, the garbage plates are the best. Um, it's fine for six months of the year. Jenny Cream Ale is the third best cheap beer you can have. Yeah, mm. good, bad beer, Jenny mm-hmm. Cream Ale. Yeah, exactly. Jenny Screamers. Jenny Screamers. Don't shotgun it, though. Like, don't. It's <laughs> a sipper. And there's no cream in there i don't think so no i don't know maybe some it's um, an inside joke 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah. Because <laughs> it tastes bitter. So it's, it's hoppy. So they're like, yeah, it's real creamy. And you're like, Whoa. yeah, you're right. What, yeah. yeah. What kind of, what is Genesee doing? What is, what they haven't they changed not? the label in 30 years. I love that. That's amazing. Never yeah. changed any cream. It helps. Never changed. They've got a goat mascot. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. I think we all get it. It's one of the consistencies. Makes of the universe. sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, goat, <laughs> the greatest of all time. So, yeah. So, did you go to Morocco for a while? No. You we just went there. So, the, one of the guys on the trip who, so I convinced, I convinced two guys who were like the grade below me to do this. And one of them, he was like the responsible one of the group, which wasn't me. Funny thing. Studying abroad is not a place for responsible people. No. So, um, so I got him to, um, to oh, I got him. Like, what? He took it upon himself to book the tickets back. So he booked our return flights. And then he like, he, one of his exams got scheduled. Cause the thing about Oxford is like, it's not like a cohesive continuous system. It's like you have tutorials and then you have lectures that you attend on a schedule and then your exams get scheduled and it's all like, balkanized so you might not go you'll have like your tutor and your tutor's one person it's like one-on-one or two-on-one and that's like write me an essay that's like two thousand words no more or less and then we'll sit there and we'll shred and i'll shred it and you'll debate me or discuss it or whatever right right and you'll talk about it and i I made the mistake once of trying to just like i read one of the books that that the professor had written on the subject and i just wrote things that were very in line with his opinion on the matter yeah and he gave me every single objection that every peer had ever (laughs) thrown at him (laughs) he knew all the objections he knew exactly what i was doing and he was like ah i thought you'd never (laughs) welcome to my world well we're in america that's a 4-0 right that's yeah. a 4.0. Yeah. And you yeah. got it. You nailed it. And he's like, yeah. no, welcome to England. This is England questioning hour. Yeah. We're doing this. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, you do tutoring and then you, what the exams are a bigger, bigger deal than. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it, it rides on everything. Like that's you, uh, yeah, it's all the exams. Pretty much are no grades. No attendance like, grade or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean for the study abroad kids, again, they had to like make it compatible because the, you know, the, the American school system was like, what do you mean? No grades. So yeah, so that was the thing. Anyway, time check. Yeah. So, uh, so, I, you know, we jumped down. We, we took like four rides. We got out of England in like a day. And then we took a, uh, a car that got on the ferry. We rode the ferry overnight to Le Havre, France. And I'm butchering that name also because I don't speak French. Um, but we get to, we land to France and it's like a Sunday in northern France. So like everyone's like families in church and no one's picking up hitchhikers. And right. people are like, why are you doing this? So we think day two... We have to, we get stuck in one place and we have to camp in a tent in a farm field, like outside of a gas station. <laughs> and we're like, we screwed up because the guy who booked our tickets booked our flights for 10 days later. So we had 10 days to cross three countries. Wow. Yeah. So we hitchhiked. The only ride we found was into Paris. And then once you get into Paris, it's like, you're not going to hitchhike from there. Cause Paris is like, if people see you trying to hitchhike, they just like, you know, like yell at you and spit on you and shit. It's like, they don't like it. So we cheated a bit, took a train to the outskirts, caught a ride to the coast and then we stayed in like a youth hostel that was in an abandoned, like an old cigarette factory. It like smelled faintly of like cured tobacco, which was lovely. <laughs> and then we um, we continued to catch rides with strangers, like all the way down the French coast into the borderland of Spain, like into the Pyrenees area of Spain. Um, and then we we went to Saint Sebastian, hung out there for like a day, caught a ride out of there into Madrid, and then went from Madrid to Cordoba, Cordoba to Malaga, uh, went out in Malaga. And by the time the end of the trip is coming, it's like you know, like you're sleeping at weird times. You're like, you know, you're trying not to all sleep in someone's car at once. Cause like that could get hairy. So like you're taking shifts, like napping in cars, but you're on the road for a very long time. You're getting like not great nights of sleep. So we, by the time we're in Southern Spain, we're like, we start drinking. We're like, we're like hitting. <laughs> yeah. We're like, <laughs> the beer was literally cheaper than the bottled water at the gas station. Exactly. In Southern yep. Spain. Yeah. So we, we have like a whole, we like go like a good, 
day and a half without sleeping just because we're like, let's just stay up. Let's just stay up. Well, because you're supposed to be camping or mm-hmm. hosteling and yeah. shit like that. Right? Yeah. And, it, and, and Malaga's a party town. So we like went proper clubbing there, <laughs> which was cool. Um, that was great. Um, I believe like one of the guys in our, in our squad almost got like in a fight with people. We had to back that down. That was fun. Um, and then we got on a ferry again to cross the Straits of Gibraltar and we got into Morocco at like four in the morning. And then once you're in Morocco, the rules are off and it's like, you can just take public transportation. Okay. You, and, then you made it. Mm-hmm, and a bunch of us all kind of made it at once. So then we meet up with an even bigger group. We took an overnight train to Casablanca, saw the sun come up in Casablanca, which was dope. Nice. Yeah. And, and they did the call to prayer there. So the cool thing about Morocco is because of the, you know, the, the layout of the country, you know, kind of kind of going east to west, you can like hear the call to prayer coming and then you can hear it fading. So you hear in the, in the distance as it hits the time, as the earth rotates, you hear, oh, and then you hear it getting louder and louder as each of the mosques and each of the blocks or townships. What, as the sun up. rises or is this a specific it's five, time? five times a day. Okay, Yeah. right. So each, okay, right. Yeah, it, They're each, Muslim. Right, right. But the thing is, uh, in Morocco, not all, it's, they weren't as like strict about it. So you didn't see a ton of people praying actually. Maybe you'd see some people on the roof maybe some people in their houses, but there were probably just as many people like walking around the street, just ignoring it. Um, but you'd hear it coming and we were at the Hassan, I think the King Hassan, the second mosque, which is like, it's like the Shea, it's like the, like the Shea stadium of mosques. It's like giant and has a retractable roof. <laughs> it's huge and like glorious. And it's on the beach and it's just like mosque, you know, it's like, yeah, this is, this place is rad. So we, we got to see, we got to see the call to prayer there from the beach side of that. And then we wandered around Casablanca. We were like, this place was a bit like, not, you know, it was like a commercial city, you know, so we okay. hopped the train to Marrakesh from there. Spent the rest of like the four days we were there, three or four days we were there just in Marrakesh. Marrakesh. So you had more, you had plenty of time. You made it plenty of a time. A few days. I mean, I would say not enough at any of those locations because I would love to do a week in like every place we stopped. Right, right. You know, if we gave ourselves 10 days, but but we had enough time to like, you know, go around the markets, buy stuff, you know, meet people, try a bunch of the food get like you know we st- i mean by the time you're in morocco things are relatively inexpensive so you're you're getting these very very cool old like uh probably french colonial era um kind of guest houses to stay in and stuff so that was awesome and then you catch a flight from you know ryanair flight from marrakesh back to luton airport uh, which is like the newark of london airports <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not great yeah and then you, you land there and then yeah um yeah and then you're done but the, the thing about that was we would get in a lot of conversations with a lot of different people from a lot of walks of life. Like we'd get a ride with like dudes in a utility van. We got, oh, when we got into the Northern Spain, we caught a ride with a couple guys who were like our age thereabouts. And there was the Euro Cup, I want to say was happening at the time. So Spain was, Spain did well and I complimented them on it. And they're, they look at me and they're like, we're Basque, okay? We're not <laughs> fucking Spanish. We're not Spanish. And I'm like, noted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And it was like, oh, so we got that perspective. And they want to be separate, right? They're, yeah. There's a nationalism movement there, as there are in a lot of parts of Spain. It's between Spain and France? It, it's the, the Basque region straddles the Pyrenees area. And it's like okay. St. Sebastian all the way up to like um, Biarritz in France, I think, is like kind of in that area too, I, be- I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comment section. Um, <laughs> Sound off. Come at me. Um, yeah. No, just kidding. So... Um, yeah, and so there's a nationalist movement there. They have a language called Euskalti, which is like, it's, um, and I'm sure I pronounced that poorly, but it's it's a, a unique language isolate. So in other words, it's unrelated to Spanish. It's unrelated to Romance languages, unrelated to Germanic languages. I, I believe it might be close to either Finnish, like Finno-Ergic languages, so like Finnish, Hungarian, those sorts of things, or it's Gaelic, 
related or both. Wow. There are aesthetic elements of things that I saw there insofar as like, you know, artifacts from museums, artwork, uh, architecture that reminded me. I mean, there were people who like wear kilts and play bagpipes and stuff. It, it kind of reminded me a little bit of what you might see in, um, you know, Ireland, Scotland. Whoa, those, weird. Those a bit, but then it was very unique unto itself, like very much so. Um, and then they seem like they really, that, that matters. Yeah, they want to keep that it uniqueness. Does. They have kind of like an IRA situation. They have kind there of like a, there's a separate, there's a, there's a militant wing of it as well. Um, but yeah, so that was fun, intense. Um, Take me to China. Okay. So then, okay. So I graduate, I move back. Uh, I, I graduate from college. I moved to China for two years um, to work for Oneida Limited, doing, Oneida Limited. doing the globalization. <laughs> as a procurement guy doing the, doing the capitalism um, okay so yeah what city did you live in uh guangzhou guangzhou and what were you you were trying to i did three things i did three things professionally there kind of at the same time one of them was like the reason i was there was i got a job with oneida limited um just you know through my connections and they needed someone or wanted someone to like go out to china um you know to and, and it was basically like doing a lot of like SAP computer works like purchase orders like vendor relations stuff so like meeting with factory owners and people who like had factories out there and sort of building the relationships with those people um, and there were some fun misadventures like I could do a pro I could go on about some of the stuff I got into like full contact martial arts with one of them for a while um, you know and practicing that you mean yeah well yeah and like like a club type competitive thing it was like it was like okay it was like fight club for like Japanese expats who were living in China, like working in, in white collar jobs who wanted to like let the steam out. But also like who, some of them were like very serious practitioners and very, very good. And some of them were like competed back in Japan. And the guy I learned from was like the champion of his prefecture. And he also happened to be like, you know, like a sales guy from a, a knife factory. <laughs> yeah. For his day job. Yeah. Who would you hang out with? I mean, you're, you see, you're all, fighting people? All, all sorts of people. So really? uh, that was like a weird part. Yeah. So I, I worked for Oneida Limited. I wrote and edited for an expat magazine um, a few stories, like kind of profiling people who were trying to make startups in China, but who were from other countries. Okay, cool. Uh, and I also taught English, and I got in with a school that um, was teaching some of their Olympic athletes and pro athletes English. So, like some of my cl some of my students were like on the Chinese national synchronized swimming team. Oh wow! And they would have some pe yeah, like the people who were like trained at a young age and like picked out and then like their whole life. Yeah. Oh, they're very good at synchronized everything. I remember the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So divers swimmers their swimming compound for training was in guangzhou because it's warm there all the time it's like florida weather oh really yeah oh that's nice yeah it's like subtropical. It just happened to be where they put you uh, did you have any choice in the matter yeah no i mean I, I did so it wasn't through a program like i just networked and met people and i was like i wanted to save up some money aside from what i was making to like fund traveling and stuff so that's what that was okay for. Nice. that's what that was about um and then i also took it upon myself to learn Mandarin to the best that I could. So I didn't sleep a lot while I was there because I also still partied and went out like every damn night. Like, because when you say who did I hang out with, it was like, who didn't I hang out with? It was like, <laughs> I had like my colleagues who were all from China, from different parts of China who moved there to work. And, and the city I was in, and dude, we could do a whole podcast on this because it's so layered and there's so much in that city that's, uh, it's a very complex and fascinating place. But it's the main Cantonese speaking part of the country, although Mandarin is something that they're all, that everybody speaks in school, past a certain education level, everyone speaks Mandarin, the media mostly speaks Mandarin, except for like in the Cantonese speaking areas and some other areas. Um, but uh, but you know, socially it's all Cantonese? Uh, for the locals, but there's so many transplants who go there for work because this is the part of the world that went from like, I mean, Guangzhou was always a big city, it was old Canton, but like Shenzhen, which is, a, like an hour train ride south went from a village of I want to say about 
2,000 or 20,000 and that would count as like a village there even though it would be like a city elsewhere to yeah. millions of people like being a bigger city than most of what you'd see in the United States outside of New York maybe LA Chicago and, and counting and the entire region is going to become they have a plan in place to make it a I think I want to say like 54 million person mega tr- mega city by 10 years from now oh my gosh yeah like connecting it all making sure it's all connected by yeah trains and stuff yeah oh yeah high-speed rail um and a lot of infrastructure going up really really fast and a lot of things modernizing very quickly and a lot of people who before the modernization weren't used to such modernization and not really used to living in a city so you would get people who would like i mean and this is this is where we're going to get censored and you're going to get these things called wumaos who are chinese bots or chinese paid trolls who will troll feeds and they'll look for things that mention China and if it's unflattering they start throwing co- like comments in the comments sections of things <laughs> yeah and they get paid to do this they get paid to do this there yeah their censorship apparatus is a is a fascinating and funny thing I've had many a text message I, come I, I, and get me yeah come out at, at me no don't, don't at me <laughs> um, don't don't at me CCP I'm, yeah uh, I'm not gonna apologize for anything but no but so it was a fascinating place to be though from the standpoint of that um, you had a lot of folks who would move there for work. So a lot of people who for the first time and for generations like left their family to go work a modern job and get a modern education, which is really cool. Okay. Um, and also, I mean, things had been opened up, you know, they opened economically in like what the eighties really. Um, and so a lot of it went from like, th- you know, post-communist third world zero to absolute cutting edge and skipped a lot of steps in between. Yeah. Yeah. Just completely modernized. Right. Right. And then when you build up that fast, what you also realize is a lot of things don't necessarily go right. So were you seeing that? Like, what, yeah, where where was there, there was like a new? So I had a view of when I first moved. I only lived there for two years. When I first moved into this place called Tianhebeilu, uh, I think it's or Tianhebeilu, one of those two. Um, it's like so I lived in Tianhe District, which is like the and it was near like the big Olympic like sports center place for the Asian Games, and the Asian Games were happening that year. So they built an entire kind of like mini Olympic style sports complex in Guangzhou from scratch over the course of a couple of like a couple of years or maybe a few months. I had a view of like some nice green hills and a few houses in the distance from my apartment. By the time I left, it was glass and steel as far as the eye could see. Whoa. Two years later. Two years? Yeah. And it was all just buildings and skyscrapers and development. that all Because they can just be like, build it. Yep. And it starts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. And then they're like, oh, are we displacing you? Cool, you get an apartment. Communism, rad. So they would, yeah. So hopefully, you know, a deal like that would, would transpire and people would be put in, put in accommodations or compensated in some way, which wasn't always the case. Um, okay, what else were you? So you're going out at night. Yep. You're working during the day. Yep, learning Mandarin from scratch. Learning Mandarin. Yep, hanging out with a lot of Australians, a lot of Brits, a lot of uh, folks from all over the world. Like the thing about Guangzhou at that time was it was a very globalized and international believe it's like this to this day still city there was a lot of because of china's like infrastructure deals in africa a lot of those there were lots of folks from sub-saharan africa pouring in and there were like these little african neighborhoods in these chinese cities and you're getting a lot of mix of culture and cuisine that that are kind of occurring in these spots like okay. like xiaobeilu little north street um and so i mean yeah man it was like i'd wake up in the morning go to my job or come home from partying change and go to my job (laughs) and then i'd work in the office and then i would leave the office if it was wednesday i'd go to full contact karate training 
if it was Tuesday or Thursday, I'd go to Mandarin class, um, one-on-one lessons, or I would go to teach lessons or both. Then I would go like profile someone for this expat magazine and write an article about them. Then I would go to the expat, you know, bar or club and meet up with my friends and be out until like 11. And then I'd come back and like, just do it all over again. Jeez. Yeah. Seven days a week. And then on the weekends I was like traveling. So I was going to like, uh, I crashed a trip of English teachers for like snowboarding in South Korea. Cause one of my friends from college went and did that <laughs> circuit. I went on some crazy adventures in Vietnam because I had some business partners there. And then another, again, some friends. From Is that a flight from where you were? Yeah. Okay. Flight. Yeah. Yeah. Simple flight. Yeah. So, and, and when I went to Korea, I ended up hitchhiking. I ended up kind of like hitchhiking again because I didn't know any Korean and I missed the bus because I left and the traffic was so backed up. Cause the thing about China, I mean, a lot of people talk about living in New York and oh, it's crowded. No, <laughs> dude, <laughs> it is wall to wall. You have to like vie for your space. You, there are just people like everywhere, like everywhere. The whole street, yeah. the whole sidewalk. Yeah. And the pollution is also next level. Like I'd have to like sweep my balcony off from dust and stuff. Ew. Right. So yeah. So it, it's just, and you can like smoke anywhere you want, <laughs> or at least you could at the time. Hey, that's great. You could like smoke in an elevator. You can, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, people man. yeah it's a smoker it's a smoking country um so how was your apartment my apartment was you know it was a studio um had a kitchen a bathroom um had a western style toilet which was like yes. right not a, like a hole in the ground thing yeah okay yeah. although supposedly that's like healthier for you but squatty I, potty yeah but I, i'll tell you i'm gonna get real no I'm not, i won't tell you that maybe i will tell you that i managed to go the entire two years i was there without using a squat toilet that's really amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. I, I like figured it out. Well, yeah. I, well, like, it seems like ha- you probably I hacked the system. I'm like, I know, I know this, I know the moves. Like, mm, okay, mm, Weston Hotel there. Like, you know. Like, okay, right. That was you one find of the, the hotel. Yeah. You, your diet fluctuates. Right, right. <laughs> Figure I, it out. I did get sick. Not too much coffee. Right, right. Oh yeah, I was, but I was still drinking a lot of coffee. But I got, I got really, really. The only one time I got really, really sick was from a Pizza Hut. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, and I was wow. eating like street food. I was going like full Bourdain. I was like, <laughs> oh, what are those? Pregnant fish on a stick? <laughs> yeah, let me eat those. That's awesome. Let's do that. What am I going to wash it down with? What's that? Like a, oh, that's like a little glass flask of sorghum liquor. What is it, 80 proof? Yeah, let's knock that back <laughs> with that. And then some pregnant like, fish. Yeah, no, I, I went the entire time. There was one point where I didn't eat the same thing for for any consecutive meals for like months it was like a different thing every meal i like went hard in the paint for the food and you could read the menus and shit when they were so i in the beginning i couldn't so i I went the first so it started the opposite way the first thing i did when i got there is there was like a like a hole in the wall noodle shop near my apartment and i'm like i'm gonna go in there and i go in there and it's like record scratches like "Er," everyone looks like foreigner (laughs) like what's he doing and they're all kind of nervous they're like oh is this gonna be an awkward situation and in china you like public embarrassment and losing face is a big deal. Like yeah. things not being awkward, but not in the way that we think are awkward. So like things that we would consider awkward, they don't and vice versa. So then to raise an awkward situation is also like more frowned upon there than like in American culture, I would say for sure. They want it to be normal. They want and to they make want, sure it goes smoothly. Yeah. Like in, in smoothly in accordance with like what they think is like a smooth and right thing to do, which isn't always what you might agree is. So. Okay. So then the game becomes you have to feel each other out and you have to get very, very good at like picking up at social cues and understanding like what individuals are probably going to want based on their MO and ways that are really subtle. So like I met some of like the like best people at like, like persuasion there. 
and like playing the game and like negotiating. And I'm not talking like hard haggling. No, I'm not talking like that. It's like people who could like build relationships in a way that was just like spectacularly effective. Like how, yeah, they try to make you realize, make you want to do the thing before you want to do it. Stuff like that. They're we're like really, really good at like quid pro quo stuff, tactical quid pro quo stuff. Like, you know, um, giving gifts in a way that was like really generous, but also like kind of strategic too. And they knew how to be indirect in their communication to invoke the response that you want. And that's like almost an art, like a social art form, I would say. Yeah. Indirect in the communication. Yeah. Indirect communication. So not saying something, but saying something that would let you read between the lines to go, oh, that's really what you meant by that. Okay. Because you'd read the context versus how they were acting. And then you kind of, you play that game. So you kind of have to get in a different headspace when you're traversing that cultural barrier. Jeez. Yeah. So anyway, I, I walk in Noodle Bar, record scratch. Everyone's looking at me. Right. I know no Chinese at this point. It's like week three. I point to something someone's eating and I'm like, mmm. <laughs> and then the guy goes, oh, Niro La Mien. And I'm like, uh-huh. Niro La Mien. And he's like, Niro La Mien. I'm like, Niro La Mien. He's like, no, good enough. Yeah. So I'm like, cool. So I ate, and that just means like beef noodles. So okay. It's like, you know, it's like a beef noodle ramen soup thing. And then you know, I got a bunch of spices and garlic. Oh, and, and it was a Northeastern place. So it was like Dongbei, Northeastern cuisine. And the people there, there were like old dudes in there. And they're like, the thing to do is you take the clove of garlic and you bite into it and you eat the noodles while <laughs> chewing raw garlic, which I, I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And I was, it's delicious. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Chewing raw so, But I, I ate nothing but like Nuro La Mien because it was the only thing I knew how to say for like a month straight. <laughs> and then I'm like, I went in there one other time and I'm like, uh, I need something else. Uh, just, just, I'm like, that, what is that? And that's my horrible accent from when I was there. And they're like, oh, just, just, Dao Shao Mian. I'm like, Dao Shao Mian? Like, no, no. Dao Shao Mian. I'm like, Dao Shao Mian. They're like, Doi. I'm like, okay. Doi means right. Correct. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay. Dao Shao Mian's like wide noodles. Oh, and they make them by hand in front of you. So they would take the large giant noodle piece and they roll it and then they run their fingers through it and then they whip it and then it smacks the table. And once it smacks the table, that's your cue to like to knead it with your fingers again. And you do this repeat, repeat, repeat until you either stretch it into thin noodles or you get it loose enough. And then you take this round uh, kind of half moon shaped blade and you slice them like this into the pot of, of scalding water to cook them mm. and they're delicious yeah mm. and they're amazing so it's sticky okay how long you were there for two years two and years. what made you want to you came back to the united states yeah. after that. i always knew i was probably going to come back to the states i mean like it's just a difficult place to be even though it's fascinating like were you getting tired of it yes um yes like yes and no i mean it was a it was a it was a hard, it was like a challenging place to be that made it fascinating because you're like, all right, I got to beat the game. Yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm here. And like every time you figure something out, it's like, ah, I like traversed this social situation. And there's something that kind of becomes addicting about like battling a situation that where you're out of your element and you, the, the, the capability for like miscommunication or accidentally offending someone or getting offended by something that someone is going to say or um, not having the right word or having a disastrous result is like always there. So it makes your day like really like minor inefficiencies just pervade all of life there because of how different it is from your existence and your reality. But the better you slowly get at that and the more you can kind of like traverse it and, and put up with the BS, the more you start to like want that and seek it out and start to go like, okay, well now I'm going to like, I'm going to go out there 
if anyone tries to speak English with me, even though my Mandarin's so-so at this point, I'm just going to speak Spanish back at them and they won't know what to do. So they'll force the conversation and I'm going to set up conversations I'm going to have. I would talk to taxi drivers and like come up with backstories just to go. Yeah. I'd be like, so it's a taxi driver. I'm riding in a taxi, just me and the guy. And I'm like, okay, so today I work at the embassy. Tomorrow I'm going to work for this company. The next day. This is in Mandarin? Yeah. And it's in Mandarin. And I'm like prepping myself and I'm having these conversations with these guys and asking them questions about their life and getting them to tell me about like where they're coming from and like how they came to came to where they are and you're stuff. picking up the accent you're picking yeah. up all the way that they and the various accents the speak, various dialects right. um, and you know hearing about their lives and stuff but then also to push my boundaries and like make my like proficiency in the language better and I you know I got to a point where I could be like fairly conversational and then what's that like when you get exhausted with that you, there are just some days where it all shuts down and nothing works right. And you're like, I'm not even going to pretend like I know this. I'm just going right. to like go about not doing it. And we're, it's sort of like on days where it's good, everything's funny and an adventure on days where it's bad. It's like the world seems like it's turning on you and like everything's a punch, like a bad joke. It's a like, nuisance. Yeah. And, just, yeah. yeah. You're like, all I want to do is like go do something very, very basic and simple. That would be like a 10 minute trip. But for some reason that you didn't anticipate you know, it failed. Yeah. And it, and that could be because it's a different system or that could be because again, of the cultural or language differences, it could be just because the way that you're being perceived as a person who's different in a very, and that's China's not homogeneous by any stretch, but where you're outside of the realm of what people are normally used to in their cultural context, you could say it's homogeneous in a way where you're an outsider, you're a foreigner. And then the way that they were well, united in the fact that you don't belong mm -hmm. there. They're all, they're homogeneous in that part where they all, it's, yes, exactly. Yeah. They all have a unified, like, like a, yeah. you know, way that they, unless you. they've gone abroad for an extended period of time, they'll react to you in ways that are just completely weird. And sometimes they're racist and, Sometimes they're inadvertently racist or sometimes they're awkward. Like people would just like follow you and decide you needed help. And I'm like, I don't want to make a new friend today. What the yeah, fuck is this? I don't need help. Yeah. So you left, you left and mm -hmm. came back to New York. Yeah, I left. I came back to New York. Um, I actually, um, and then I, I needed a job. So I started applying to grad schools cause like that was the goal and that was ultimately why I wanted to. Okay. So applied to grad schools, got into Cornell. Um, and, and my job that I had like the summer in between this crazy time in China and that was like door to door sales. <laughs> Gross. But it was fun. No, there's something about it where I'm like... You like it. I yeah. like, yeah, because I'm the guy who Because you're a bit of a talker. Right. Yeah. As you, in case you couldn't tell, <laughs> Terrence, yeah, I, I'm the guy who talked my way into going to Morocco, like, by getting strangers <laughs> to let me in their car. <laughs> like, yeah, like, no, yeah. So I'm like, I was weirdly good at it. So then I got into grad school. That was at Cornell. I did two years public administration, master's degree, interned at the State Department. Um, oh, cool. That was, yeah, that was, that was really cool. I... I got like a security clearance and everything. Um, oh yeah, then you worked in that. You worked in that prison. That was yeah. That, that was way a, later. That was in New York. Yeah. yeah, that was here. Okay. Yeah. So, I um, yeah, I worked at the State Department. I lived in D.C. like right after grad school. So I, I worked at the State Department. Then I, I came back to Cornell to finish up, finish my project and like my thesis and all that stuff. Went back to um, or like my capstone project. Then I went back to. Um, to DC and I got a couple of like contract jobs. I played in a cover band there for like, nice. like classic rock tunes and stuff and you know, played parties and <laughs> bars and whatever. Um, and uh, tried to get a job and then they were like, one of the people who I worked with at the State Department was like, you know the best way to do this is like to get appointed. I'm like, okay. So like the best way to get appointed is to hop on the campaign trail. So it was 2016. So I signed up to work for the Democrats in 2016. Oh wow, right, you worked for Hillary. Yeah, yeah. but the first job they gave me before that was as a tracker 
which your brother can tell you about what that is. But basically, my, I was like spying on the Republicans back in our home district. <laughs> so I was like following them around with video cameras and stuff and trying to catch them doing like, like you know, out of character bad stuff. And then we could put it in the tack ads. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. And I got outed in like five seconds because the first thing I showed up to was like a, you know, pro Second Amendment motorcycle rally, <laughs> you know, with my Mazda 3 and my smartphone and my mobile <laughs> values. <laughs> and um, they're like, are you a writer? Who do you work for? They thought I worked for like the, this was during like the, like the, um, the primaries, so I thought I worked for like the other Republican campaign. And I'm like, no, I work for the Democratic Party. And then the person who I was following was like, oh, wait, the Democrats think I'm going to win? I'm like, well, I do. I don't know if they do. Um, I just, I'm betting on you because I know the area. And then she's like, ah, and then they loved that. Because they're like, the Democrats are spying on us. They think we have a chance. And then she won. I was right. The person who I thought was going to win won, despite being like kind of like giggled at about that. Because like, what do you mean? She's like a, she's, she, she, her followers believe in conspiracy theories and listen to Alex Jones and they follow these like weird oh news boy. sites. You don't even know what's coming. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And I'm like, no guys, like the people, the weird news site conspiracy people are like winning and they're like, what do you mean? And they thought it was crazy. So I'm writing them emails about this and I'm getting like laughed off the whole time. And then lo and behold, I also got put in a third party candidates attack ad. Um, so that was fun. Then I got tapped to go be a field organizer in Wisconsin for the democratic party. Um, and um, in case you didn't know, Hillary Clinton like didn't come give a speech where I worked. I don't know if you knew that. In Wisconsin. In Wisconsin. I, I don't know. Did hear about that. Didn't. Yeah, some people. So I was there for that. It's been discussed. Yeah, it's been talked about a little bit. It's a little bit. So that happened. Then I you know, hit the networking again, and that's when I decided to come. That's when I ended up coming to New York, because I got a job working in like violence reduction and anti-recidivism programming on Rikers Oh, Island. and just to wrap up, Hillary Clinton didn't win that election. Uh, just to yeah, close okay. that thread. In case, yeah. So that 100 loop. years from now, when you're watching this in history class, <laughs> in the time capsule, um, uh, you know, whatever, like Lord Elon Musk's, you know, head in a jar <laughs> on the Mars colony might try to tell you otherwise, but... Uh, now who sounds like they're reading That's fake right. news. Yeah. Before we take off, I want to do a speed round because you've lived in a lot of places. Yeah. Okay? Sure. Ready? Yep. Now, if you were to live in a city mm-hmm. and the only thing you could consider was the food, which city would you live in? Ooh. Uh, Guangzhou. Guangzhou. Mm-hmm. If you had to live in a city and the only thing you could consider was the climate. I like variation, so New York. New York City. If you had to raise a family in a city, which city would you raise a family in? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've thought about that. I'm like, well, would I want to do it here? A lot of people are like, I don't want to do it here. But I'm like... In New York, yeah. I know a lot of people who were raised here and they turned out all right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it could be New York. Yeah. could be the UK. I don't know. could be... Casanova. Food, yeah. Casanova is good. free babysitting. Free babysitting. You know, that's yeah. the whole, that's why people people go home for the free babysitting <laughs> baby. Yeah. Uh, what about culture? Ooh, ooh, damn. I like the UK. When you say culture, like, what do you mean by that? But because I left it intentionally vague. Right, you did, and yeah. So, I mean, mm. so you like white culture the best? Yeah. <laughs> no. What? No. When I say the the so the okay. So, Oxford. Yeah. For, okay. For one thing, and that's yeah. Um, but Guangzhou, Guang, Guangzhou, the multicultural portion of it is fascinating and awesome. Okay, so that's going yeah. to be. Do, are we sticking to ones that I've just lived in before? Like, could it be a dream? Like, can I say Tokyo? Yeah, sure. Or like places I've just been. Well, like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I like Toronto a lot. Toronto. Yeah, that's close to home too. Friends there. Yeah. Nice. All right. Good yeah. culture. Um. Which which what's what city are you gonna go back to next? 
you think? Am I going to go back to next? First post-pandemic travel. Ooh, um, we've been talking, Jane and I have been talking about like Ireland a little bit for an international trip. Why? Maybe. What? Why? Why? I haven't been. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, not at all? The yeah. whole country? Nope. Nice. Nope. I've been to like France a bunch, a few times, Belgium, Spain a few times, like lived in England, been to Wales a few times, never been to Ireland. So. Nice. nice. Andrew, is there anything you want the listeners to know about plug-wise? Pl- they listen to you and they like you. Is there anything you want to introduce them to here so your the twitter ASMR, no <laughs> just kidding okay yeah. good no i don't i don't want to i mean follow me don't i don't know do i plug myself here follow me on yeah Instagram? but i mean i'm used to talking to comedians sure. who are shamelessly uh, yeah yeah I, like i don't want everyone necessarily following me on instagram but i do leave it open well don't worry uh-huh. so come <laughs> and find me on instagram but i'm not going to tell you what it is um, bingo and andrew joseph yeah and, andrew joseph check out your band check out my band if, Which, we, if we ever see the light of day sundays in an apartment S- in new york sundays in a, a music space called the Psy Labs. Oh, nice. You had to get a space, it's I guess. The, we right. share a space with the drummer of Parquet Quartz's side project. Ooh, I like Parquet Quartz. Yeah, yeah. And we're nowhere near as cool as, as them. So, um, and you never will be. And we never, ever will be. But we're going to play, and we're going to play uh, loud. Yeah. Thanks for doing the podcast, brother. Hey, anytime. Good I, to see you. I'd do it again. I'll tell you what. I bet you would. <laughs> and that's Andrew Joseph. Follow him. I guess if you can find them. I love non-comedians because they don't. They're just like I'm just here to talk to you. I don't. I don't, I don't need, have any other, have any ulterior motive. I don't have anything to promote. Um, so that's Andrew, Andrew Joseph. He's a great guy. Uh, um, you know, check him out. And thanks a lot, Andrew, for doing the podcast. And uh, thank you for listening. And thank you to Rudy Schultz for designing the logo of this podcast. Rudy Schultz is great at designing logos. He does logos. Check out his his online stuff. Check out his stuff online. Um, Steve Gerard, of course. Steve Gerard did the theme song to this podcast um, entitled Down by the River by Steve Gerard. Um, he's great. He's got a project called Crown Blue Music, and Steve actually is moving to New York in September. So if you want to be his friend, reach out to Steve Gerard uh, at Steve Gerard on Instagram. And thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.